This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Hey, I'm Dan McNeil, and welcome to the Danny Mac Podcast on Bet Rivers. It's football season. Finally, the football is going in the air. Training camps have opened, and in Chicago, all eyes are on first-year head coach Matt Eberflus and what his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, the former Packers OC, is going to do with now second-year man Justin Fields. And the Bears start training camp with their only bankable asset defensively, Roquan Smith, the linebacker, on the pup list because he's not happy with his contract and he's representing himself. So we'll see how that gets ironed out. I have a feeling when they play the 49ers on opening day and face Trey Lance, Roquan Smith will be out there and everything will be just fine. But we have all of August and early in September to talk about what will become of the 22 Chicago Bears. That's not where I want to go today. While I want to keep it football, I want to talk about my friend Steve McMichael and his legacy both on and off the field with the Chicago Bears and um, briefly with the New England Patriots when it all started and as it concluded with the Green Bay Packers in 1994. And I'll start you with a quote from McMichael on his run with Green Bay. And I've seen some weird things in my life, but being at Lambeau Field in 94 and watching McMichael walk the emerald turf that hollowed ground in Green Bay two hours before kickoff, wearing his game pants, just a sleeveless T-shirt, no shoulder pads, no helmet, just walking the field, looking up into the stands. There's just something very weird about seeing him in those colors. But he would put on jersey number 90 14 times as a starter in that 94 season for Green Bay. And at the end of it, I loved his quote, Said McMichael, for 13 years, I helped the Bears beat the Packers every year. I whooped their ass, right? So the last year, I went up there on my last leg, and I wasn't any good anymore. So I stole their money and whipped their ass again. That's the essence of Steve McMichael, who for more than 20 years has been more than an acquaintance He's been a friend, and it has been for me, as it has been for so many Bears fans, members of the media, just uh, horrible to watch his struggles over the last year and a half. Steve announced in April of 21, he has ALS. ALS is unbeaten, and uh, if you have seen any pictures of Steve on social media lately, 
You understand the struggle he's going through, but it is my choice today to talk about how Steve McMichael has lived, not how he is going out and he's going out a fighter, but how he lived and how he loved life and how people around him seem to respond to him. I know he's not been everybody's flavor, but damn it, he's been mine. My run in Chicago radio began in 1985, and that's not a bad year to begin a career in sports radio, especially for a football fan. My rookie season, as I like to refer to it, Kevin Butler and I were rookies in the same year, and it just happens to be for the Bears' flagship, WGN Radio. GN had just reacquired rights to Bears game. Uh, Bears games, and it was it was my pleasure and privilege to be able to produce pregame, halftime, and postgame shows for the Bears flagship, and also produce Chuck Swirsky's short nightly uh, talk show that followed the Bob Collins show. At that point, it was in afternoon drive, and as the producer of the show, it was my responsibility to make sure my host Swirsky or Dave, and it's still at GN by the way had the appropriate materials for a guest, uh, had their daily diet of audio tape they wanted to use, sound bites from various coaches, players, whoever the case may be, and also to secure guests who were going to appear appear on the show. And that was the first time I started to book guests. And Swirsky usually would tell me, who he wanted, and then I'd pick up the phone and call Bears PR. In that era, there weren't a million people making these demands. So on the flagship, you pretty much got what you wanted. And I suggested to Swirsky that we talk to Steve McMichael, who was in his fifth NFL season in 1985 and his fourth with the Bears. And Swirsky turned white. He's like, there's no way I'm going to trust Steve McMichael to go on the air and not say something that would be offensive or say something that's going to cause the board operator to leap for the dump button because McMichael was an unapologetic vulgarian. And that's what so many of us found compelling about Steve McMichael. He was a character among characters. Born in 1957 in October in Houston, McMichael's first love was baseball, and he was a terrific high school baseball player. He hit 450 in his senior year, and there actually were some major league clubs who were interested in taking more than a casual look at Steve, but his first love was football. So with tons of scholarships available, he chose to stay in-state and play for the Longhorns, and he wound up being a consensus All-American and uh, in his final year, his senior season, the MVP of the 1979 Hula Bowl, ultimately he's drafted in the third round by New England with the 73rd pick overall. But 1985 was just an amazing year. And I, I never will apologize for being a pom-pom, you know, waving Bears fan from that era. I since have turned in my Bears fan club card. But in 85, you just couldn't help but get swept up in the Super Bowl shufflers. They were so dynamic, both on and off the field. They had grace, they had muscle, and they had swagger. 
The 85 Bears were the Rolling Stones in shoulder pads. They were all over the community. They didn't hide like some other great championship players and teams in Chicago did after that 85 group. They were a part of the community. Jim McMahon, the quarterback, regularly would take out his offensive linemen to restaurants and bars in the northern suburbs. They didn't hide in the back room. They were out there for people to see. There were car dealerships that lined up to have Bears players do appearances for them. And I don't think there were any of them that I can remember who acted like they were too too cool for the room and didn't participate in this sort of thing. And of the guys on that defense, it was Mike Singletary, the eventual Hall of Famer, middle linebacker, who emerged as the face of the defense. The bug eyes staring down the opposing quarterback. That's what CBS, which at the time had rights to NFC games, would show you every week in its promos. That's before Fox took over the NFC. They would show you Singletary because of that intense face. And Mike was a terrific player. But on that team, he was the third best linebacker on the roster. And anybody who was on those 85 Bears would tell you Wilbur Marshall and Otis Wilson for that season had a bigger impact on games than did Singletary. Up front, there was the fridge. I may be large, but I'm no dumb cookie. First-year man out of, out of Clemson playing defensive tackle. The sack man, Richard Dent played one defensive end. He winds up being the Super Bowl twenty MVP. But the one-two punch of Dan Hampton and Steve McMichael, for me, was the catalyst. One angry white boy from Arkansas, one from Texas. They were to defensive linemen what Bogart and Bacall were to early romance in film. They were what Jagger and Richards were to touring rock bands of their era. They called McMichael Mongo because he had physical similarities to Alex Karras, the NFL star from Gary. He wound up starring in several motion pictures and also in television. He played a character, Mongo, a Bulgarian, in the Mel Brooks film Blazing Saddles. So McMichael's teammates began calling him Mongo. When I got to know Steve years later, I suggested to him they dropped the ball and he should have been nicknamed Joe Bob, who was the offensive lineman played by Bo Svensson in the 1979 film North Dallas 40. And McMichael, as though it were on cue, says, Joe Bob's fine foods. Eat here or I'll kill you. He knew exactly where I was going. That's a Nolte impersonation of Joe Bob, and Joe Bob wanted to kill him. And and McMichael absolutely cherished that movie, and it became a bond for a long, long time. You probably have heard the story of McMichael the night before Super Bowl XX, firing a chair through a chalkboard and disrupting the projector as the Bears were looking at Raymond Barry's Patriots offense one last time. McMichael had had enough. Uh, He said, that's it. He ended the meeting, and the Bears went out the next day and just stomped Steve Grogan and uh, Tony Eason and and the Patriots, a wild card team that had no business playing in that game. And, uh, man, I don't apologize because those were some good dudes on that team, and I was very close in age to a lot of them, so I felt 
a lot more connective tissue than I do with athletes today. Dennis McKinnon, uh, the wide receiver out of Florida State. Tom Thayer, uh, terrific guard for a long time out of Notre Dame, still doing Bears radio, 20-plus years on that. The three of us all were born about 12 days apart, so I was a contemporary of theirs. And to their credit, they those guys made me feel welcomed. It was, it was a very welcoming group once I started to spend time around the Bears. That was a little bit later on. In the, in the late 80s and early 90s, 1986, uh, following the Super Bowl, was the first time I ever worked a Bears locker room. I was writing for the Times of Northwest Indiana. At that time, it was called the Hammond Times, suburban publication of 70,000. And I was given the assignment of doing two sidebars on the Bears' playoff date against Joe Gibbs and the Washington Redskins early January of 87 at Soldier Field. The Bears lost that game rather convincingly. They didn't have Jim McMahon available. Uh, he was out, I believe that was the year Charles Martin wrecked his season with uh, with the cheap shot and gets tossed from the game by Jerry Mark Bright. But nonetheless, McMahon isn't there. So enter Doug Flutie, and that upset a lot of the guys on the Bears. They would have just as soon seen Mike Tomczak get an opportunity But Ditka goes outside and he gets help from Doug Flutie, who on that day was as awful as he was short. He was 11 out of 31, just 130-some yards passing. He had a rating of 33-and-a-half, I think. He threw two picks. He also lost a fumble. It wasn't on the Bears' defense. It was on the offense, and there are two things that are indelibly etched in my brain working that locker room for the first time. One of them is watching the late Walter Payton face the music as reporters asked him about his subpar game. Payton didn't do very much on the ground that day. He also lost a fumble. The Bears had four turnovers on the game, so it wasn't on the defense. But Peyton was a stand-up guy, and he answered questions. The other thing I remember is looking in the corner of the room and seeing a dejected Steve McMichael slumped in the chair in front of his locker stall, his, his forearms across his thighs, his head down, staring at the floor. He never moved. I probably was in the locker room for a good 20 minutes, maybe even a little bit longer. And I don't remember seeing him talk to any. I don't remember seeing anybody talk to him. He was obviously taking that loss very, very hard because it meant a lot to Steve McMichael. He was a guy who cared deeply about his craft and about his team. And the Bears on that day came up way short because the offense was absolutely terrible. In 1988, I got a a break. I got a chance to work for the AM-FM Loop. The AM Loop primarily producing Chet Kopik's nightly talk show. And Kopik was a fan of McMichael. So I booked McMichael for our talk show and was told by program director Greg Salk, who remains a friend and was a terrific influence in my career, don't do that again. He, he Again, he did not trust McMichael not to do something stupid because McMichael would say what was on his mind. He was an entertainer. You may not like him, but you're not going to leave the room wondering what was on the mind of Steve McMichael. That was the first year, 88, 
when I worked the Bears locker room on a regular basis after games. However, I never was required to stick a microphone in front of Steve McMichael, so I chose not to because he scared the living crap out of me. I'm not kidding. He is. uh, He was such an imposing guy, and I wasn't in with McMichael yet. Just having him on the phone briefly to get him on with Copic wasn't enough for me. So after about a year and a half with the AM loop, I'm getting a little bit more of a comfortability factor with some of the air talent. And Kevin Matthews, who was doing the midday show from Platteville, Wisconsin, uh, we're in Platteville where the Bears trained for many years before moving to Bourbonnet early in the 21st century. And a bunch of us had gone out for a nice dinner at the Timbers restaurant. It's the nicest restaurant in Platteville, Wisconsin. You know how you know that? There's a sign in the foyer that says, no bare feet. So you know you're in a classy joint if they if they make you wear shoes. We had ordered a Chateaubriand, a gigantic piece of red meat. And our general manager, Larry Wirt, suggest to us and there were a couple of Bears players who didn't have to go to film sessions in the evening place kicker Kevin Butler uh, who was a friend of the Kevin Matthews show and they were friendly he was with us Bears punter Maury Buford the kickers don't have to watch films because what's there to watch so they went out for dinner with their radio friends and I'm just starting to get to know guys like this and they decided after dinner let's get that Chateaubriand wrapped up and the 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 maitre d put it in a gorgeous foil swan, this absolutely majestic foil swan to take the Chateaubriand home, we decided to go over to Pizzeria Uno, where McMichael and his first wife, Deborah were relaxing. He had just ended one of his many holdouts. His teammates used to kid him. He would hold out, not because he was expecting more money, just because he wanted a week or so out of training camp. He didn't really need it at that point in his career. So we go over to Pizzeria Uno and Larry Wirt presents McMichael with the swan, the Chateaubriand in the foil swan. And McMichael looks at it, doesn't say a word to anybody. He's just staring at this, this foil. And eventually he grabs it by the neck and start slamming it on the table in front of him. Just, you know, I don't know if it was four or five wax before it was completely destroyed, but there's there's foil and there's meat going in every direction. And, and, and Deborah, his wife, who was Southern, says, I got meat on my face. And to, to celebrate his destruction of the nice gesture Larry Wirt tried to do, Uh, McMichael stuffed Kevin Butler in the bushes outside of of Pizzeria Uno that night. And that was my introduction to Steve McMichael. We would wind up doing a show later that season on on WGBO-TV Channel 66. It was my privilege to host this awful Bears television show that aired on Channel 66 Friday nights at 11 following Barney Miller. We had a good lead-in. We recorded the show Tuesday nights at Riley's Daughter in Oak Lawn, had a different guest every week. And when I have McMichael there, I'm still a little terrified, even though I had spent a little bit of time with him. And after my introduction, when we start rolling, rolling on the show, 
I said he's a guy who who, who plays hard and and lives lives like every day is his last and always says what's on his mind and it's his turn to talk after the introduction. He's I might as well say what's on my mind because the McCaskies are going to pay me shit anyway. The technical director comes running out of the truck waving his arms inside at the bar. He said, we got to restart. We can't take that. We can't beep it, so we have to restart the show. And McMichael does the sign of the cross and says, we'd like to begin this show with the Lord's Prayer. But I still didn't really get to know Steve very well until much, much later in zero one when I wound up taking a job at, uh, at ESPN for eight years. I did afternoons on ESPN 1000, and I inherited Steve McMichael. And the timing could not have been better. We started our show in May of 01. In August of that summer, in typical McMichael fashion, he sings Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field, and the timing was perfect for him because a controversial call had ended the Cubs' sixth just three outs prior Cubs third baseman Ron Coomer was called out at the plate by home plate umpire Angel Hernandez. Playing up to the crowd, when McMichael grabs the microphone, he says, don't you worry about a thing, I'm going to have some speaks with the umpires after the game. Angel Hernandez, the umpire, very animatedly is pointing at McMichael, and he's furious, and he he summoned the, the company of crew chief Randy Marsh, who decided McMichael has to be ejected from the ballpark. So the Cubs game goes to commercial break. They come back, they show a couple of pitches, and then you see security uh, taking Steve McMichael and, uh, and wife Misty out of the ballpark. Just just so vintage Steve McMichael, a, uh, a third-round pick in New England. He didn't really catch on for a couple of years in the NFL. Uh, he moves to the Bears in 81, didn't start, didn't start in his second year as a Bear in 82. So he's he's in his fourth year in the league before he actually earned 10 starts. Now, in that fourth year of 1983, he emerges as a solid pass rusher and accrues eight and a half sacks. Bryant Young, who is a Hall of Famer now, has only been in double-digit sacks in his career twice. Richard Seymour, the Patriot and uh, Raider who's going in this year's class, never had more than eight. And McMichael had eight and a half in just his fourth year and hadn't even really accrued any time as a starter. When I started this preparing for this podcast, I was expecting to just try and and delight you with personal stories of spending time with Steve McMichael and what kind of character he is and some of his jokes. But the more I looked into what he did on the field, the more I realized there is a case to be made that this man deserves enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'm not saying that because I am biased and a Chicago fan or a McMichael fan. You look at the career numbers of Richard Seymour, you got to be kidding me. This guy had 57 and a half career sacks only. 57 and a half career sacks. And most of his career, he played on the edge. 
He started as a defensive tackle, but moved to the edge in 0-3, his third year of 13 in the NFL. And as I said, he never had more than eight in a season. McMichael was in double digits three times, with the most being an 11-and-a-half sack season in 1988. He also had uh, a nine and an eight and a half after his he, those three double digits. He had a couple in the upper single digits. And there are guys going into Canton this year. Seymour, Bryant Young, whose career numbers are not the equal of Steve McMichael's. McMichael played in 213 career games, 191 of them with the Bears, 13 years a member of the Chicago Bears. 1991, his his skills really had yet to erode. In fact, some of his most productive seasons were were after that. His his best year, one of his best years was the 92 season when he finished with 10 and a half sacks, forced four fumbles and recovered two of them. But what I can recall most about the 91 season was the Monday night game. And most Bears fans, my age, even a little bit younger, will remember the turf in the helmet of tight end Cap Boso from the University of Illinois. That's after they thought Boso had scored a touchdown. The Bears wound up having to come back on the field because it would have ended the game. It would have been a walk-off, but they ruled he was down at the one-yard line. And I remember, uh, I think it was Tom Waddle who was pulling the turf out of the helmet of Boso. Everybody remembers that. What few remember, and I do because I was there covering the game for the the then sports channel. It's been 17 iterations since. McMichael forced a fumble in the final two minutes. Blair Thomas, the Jets running back out of Penn State, was the Jets are just trying to run out the clock. They're leading 13-6, to and McMichael strips the ball and recovers it, and the Bears wind up taking the game into overtime and and winning the game, Uh, the Cap Boso game. I'm always going to remember that as a Steve McMichael game because he turned it around. He willed his team to win on that day, and that's the kind of guy he was. You know, he doesn't play much early in his career. He winds up becoming a a, a weight room dynamo. Uh, The guys I've known on that 85 team, and on the defensive side, it includes Hampton, it included Dave Dewerson, Jim Morrissey, Ron Rivera. They would tell you that nobody worked harder in the weight room than McMichael. He had a huge upper body, I mean, a huge chest. He was a terrific bench presser, powerful arms. He had big, thick legs, but he was narrow at the waist. Not a surprise when I learned, you know, several years ago, but years after his career, that he was a good baseball player because Steve McMichael is a hell of an athlete. He's not just a muscle head. I mean, he was a son of a bitch on the field, but... And nobody made rookies pay for being rookies more than McMichael did. You might recall in 2014, the Richie Incognito story, uh, and he just retired recently as a Las Vegas Raider. At the time, he was with the Dolphins when this story breaks, that he had been hazing rookies. Jonathan Martin, most notably, it was two years prior in 2012, when he began harassing 
the Dolphins rookie bullying him. Well, this is life in that world, and it's not the same world you and I have worked in. These guys are given a license to behave like cavemen, and if that's what they believe it takes, I don't think those of us who've never worn shoulder pads and helmets in NFL games are in a position to tell them to do it a different way. McMichael was very, very tough on on the rookies and concluded his career as a Green Bay Packer so he could steal their money and give it to them one more time after his career. McMichael messed with wrestling in 95. The World Wrestling Federation has him appear ringside along with fellow former NFL star Lawrence Taylor for WrestleMania 11. He's hired by the WCW as a commentator. He also is being referred to at this time as Ming the Merciless because one nickname isn't enough for Steve McMichael. He needs to be Mongo and he also needs to be Ming the Merciless. Uh, So he winds up fiddling with that for a number of years. In 07, uh, still with football in his blood, he decides he's going to coach the Chicago Slaughter of the Continental Indoor Football League. Um, He did that until it concluded, until they wrapped up business in 2013. I thought it was just going to be a one- or a two-year run for McMichael, but that wasn't the case. He was so much fun during those those years, 01 to 09, when I was at ESPN to have him on my show on a regular basis. He wasn't always the most articulate guy in the room. He would screw up the names of some of Bears players, some of the opposing players. But he spoke from the heart, and he spoke with passion, and it's that sort of thing that Bears fans always appreciated about Steve McMichael. In 2010, he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm not so sure that they've done enough justice by Steve McMichael. When I looked at the numbers of Richard Seymour and to a lesser degree, Bryant Young, who had a 89 and a half sacks in his career, fewer than McMichael. McMichael, again, 95 career sacks. Bryant Young, 89 and a half, playing on the outside. And he was in double digits twice in his career with, with sacks. McMichael did it three times. Steve McMichael was a warrior and a good man. A guy who you knew what you were getting. He asked no quarter. He took no quarter. I was delighted to learn in 07, he and his wife, Misty, we're blessed with the birth of a daughter, Macy, now in her teens. And I just uh, am just thrilled and proud to have known him and have been a friend of Steve's now for a little bit more than 20 years. And he personified what it was supposed to be to be a Chicago Bear. And I will close this podcast by one of my favorite Steve McMichael quotes from 1984 when he was asked about the difference being in Chicago versus the team that drafted him in the third round, the New England Patriots. Said McMichael, thank God New England got rid of me. Some teams, they want you to have a certain image. Other teams, like this one, they just want you to get down and dirty. I'm really proud to be a Bear. The Patriots, 
They thought I was a little weird, and I guess I am, but here, they don't care. Long as you play hard. The town, the coach, the team. It's Steve McMichael. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. We're glad you weren't, pal. Thanks for listening. I'm Danny Mac, and I'll be back soon with more football on the Danny Mac podcast via Bet Rivers.